Christ Journey. I'm, uh, I'm so glad to be back together with our Christ Journey family and to join once again the Christ Journey process here. But today I'm conflicted. I, uh, the crisis at hand is very present and real. And we feel it. Who of us doesn't feel it? Um, and I'm conflicted in the sense that I, I know I need to speak to it and I want to. But I also know that there are so many things I don't know and that I'm learning right now. And we're going to share some of that learning in the body of this talk today as we hear the voices from, uh, from those that are living the experience. So I want to invite you, if you've joined us expecting a talk on the crisis at hand in our culture, this is one of those, but it's not as frontal as you may prefer. So allow me to learn as we learn together, and, um, and let's see if growing in Christ-likeness, growing to spiritual maturity, isn't part of God's answer for the challenges that we are wrestling with right now. Today we consider what it means to be all grown up spiritually. Now we've been making our way up through the human growth continuum each week and at every stage we have noted that there is a biological answer to that question. And so what we've seen is that in natural life there is a progress to all or a process to all progress. Um, from seed to stem to blossom to fruit, so also with the human development from uh, newborn to childhood through adolescence and adulthood. And today, we ask this question, what does it mean to be a human adult? But not just biologically, though there is a biological answer to that question. You know, if you're at a family reunion, somebody might say this, oh, look at you, you're so grown up, you're all grown up. And what they mean is that the physical changes that they are beholding leave no doubt that the man before them is no longer just a little boy, or the girls undeniably are not little anymore. There is a biological answer to that question. Maybe you learned in, uh, in high school biology, that uh, you reach adulthood when your body has the capacity to reproduce. Well, that's a little bit confusing because now what they're saying is the human brain does not reach maturity until the mid-20s or maybe early 30s, which means that you can reproduce before you know what's really going on, right? A little confusing there. Um, some think that human brain development will continue in some form throughout all of our years, which then means, well, hey, there's still hope for us. <laughs> Don't despair. We could still keep growing. But it's confusing. Society tries to define it with concepts like this. Legal age. 16 to drive, 18 to vote, 18 to enlist in military service without parental consent, or 18 to get legally married in many states. But did you know there are 25 states that don't have a minimum marriageable age? You got to be 21 to drink alcohol, which means if you get married as a teenager and realize that it was a mistake, then you can't drown your sorrows legally until you're 21. I know, that's a bad joke. Uh, but in the 20th century, the tasks of adulthood included find a mate, raise a family, begin an occupation, and run a home. Now, it's more complex these days for many, 
Kelly Williams Brown, born in 1984, which means social researchers would call her a millennial. She's a writer credited with inventing the word adulting, referring to actions that comprise maturity. Her book is Adulting, How to Become a Grown-Up in 468 Easy-ish Steps. So she's writing about tips for navigating adult life. Another one writes this, being a millennial and trying to adult is wildly disorienting. I can't figure out if I'm supposed to start a nonprofit, get another degree, develop a wildly profitable entrepreneurial venture, or somehow travel the world and make it look effortless online. They continue, mostly, it just looks like taking a job that won't ever pay off my student debt in a field that is not the one I studied. And then, if I hold myself to the traditional ideal of what it means to be an adult, I'm also not nailing it. I'm unmarried, I'm not settled in a long-term, financially stable career. Now, it's, unstable to it's unfair to judge myself, but I confess, I fall into the trap of comparison often enough. Sometimes, because I simply desire those things for myself, and sometimes, because of Instagram. Those stories appeared in the Atlantic Magazine. So, but they're asking the question, what, what, when are you really an adult? What does a grown-up look like? Well, the lines are blurry, aren't they? What about spiritual maturity? That's our focus as Christ followers today. What does that mean? How can you know as a Christ follower, as a person of living faith, that you are spiritually grown up, all grown up? Did you know in Scripture that... Uh, Becoming and being a spiritual grown-up is never a matter of chronological age. That, uh, that you can be young in physical years, but wise and strong in spiritual adulting. Or that you can be advanced in calendar years and still not know God's resources for your life, live below your privilege as a child of God, and then really never become mature spiritually. What's the point? The point is that God has a vision and a potential plan for every human being, every human being to find fulfillment in Christ. And this is what the apostles of Jesus taught. Peter, 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him, our personal knowing of Him, who called us by His own glory and goodness. Now why? So that you may participate in the divine nature. Paul said it this way, Ephesians 3.19 says that in Christ we can know God's love that surpasses knowledge and be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Boom! Chapter 4, verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things, would you say the words with me? Grow up. In all things, grow up into Him who is the head. Now, the Apostle John calls it walking in the light or abiding in eternal life. And here's how he says it. Whoever, has, whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. 1 John 2, verse 10. Imagine being so mature that there is nothing in you that is making you get tripped up. James, chapter 3, verse 2, refers to something he calls, quote, a perfect 
man, close quote. Fully mature, completely developed. That's what that means. Hebrews 6.1, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Now I'm bringing all of those up because they assure believers that there is something more to life than simply receiving Christ, being born again and going to heaven. Something more to spiritual life. There is growing in Christ into full spiritual adulting. Being born again is like starting your car. You know, you, you, the engine is now going. Now, and then growing is going places in it. You don't just start it to sit in the driveway. You get on the Christ journey. God's got sky high plans for each of his children. He's got them for you. Jesus put it this way John, in Matthew 5:48, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, don't get snagged on that word. Um, he's not talking about perfectionism, the obsession of perfectionism. No, it means full-grown. It means completely developed. He's not talking about being self-righteous. Uh, you know, like some sort of legalistic Pharisee that Paul said, I got out of that life. That's not what following Christ is about. Not being self-righteous is what we know is that usually that's more full of self than righteous, right? And it offends people. Mark Twain once said, some people are good in the worst sense of the word. Jesus doesn't want his followers doing that, being that. He exposed self-righteous hypocrisy and he still doing it today. He's not contradicting it here, but he's challenging his followers at every stage of your growth, be fully developed for where you are and maximize your potentials as a growing child toward spiritual adult in your heavenly father, which I, which I believe brings us now to the central lesson of spiritual adulting. You know what it is? Each level of growth has a central lesson. This is what we've been learning that we're to embrace in order to move to the next level. And the lesson for spiritual adulting is this, responsibility. Take responsibility for your life under God in Christ. Take responsibility for your own life under God in Christ. Now, what I want to do here is invite you to fasten your seatbelt. I'm telling you, I'm locked and loaded today. We're going to bring the whole truck and bring it right to you. So uh, I want to hang with me, would you? What are the lessons of being maturish spiritually? Well, here they are. If you're a newborn, the lesson is receive God's life. Then take that into your infancy. If you're an infant, the, le the lesson is receive nourishing care. If you're a spiritual toddler, then respond to community with steps of faith, with words, with your first steps of faith, your first words of prayer. You're growing in community with God and others. And then as a spiritual child, what's the lesson? Obey in active faith, in childlike faith. Turn your trust into action. And like a key in a car, you turn that that key by faith that acts and it starts the engine running, gets things moving. The lesson of the preteen is what? Discover. Discover who you are, your identity in Christ. Discover where you belong, your mentoring community for growth. Discover what you are here to do, your destiny in fulfilling God's will. And then as you discover, you develop in your spiritual adolescence. That's the lesson of 
your spiritual teen years, your adolescence develop. You build on every lesson that you have learned in your prior growth so far. And then here's what you experience. Information becomes transformation through devoted application. Information becomes transformation through devoted application. This is how we grow in Christ. Adolescence is a boot camp for adulthood in the spirit, preparing you for the battles of life. So everything that you've learned this far, you're now going to build on and put into practice in your spiritual adulting. And as an adolescent, you're not out on your own yet, but you're on your way. And then when you reach spiritual adulting, what is that? Well, the lesson is, Take responsibility for doing life under God in Christ. Doing the will of God. Take responsibility for doing the will of God. Jesus said this, My meat is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. John 4, 34. Spiritual adulting involves a diet of doing. Not just learning and thinking and feeling, but doing. We are putting it into practice. In biological adulting, that doing involves things like job, family, marriage, kids, surviving, making a difference in the world. Now, in spiritual adulting, it means stepping into your warrior and taking responsibility for seeking first God's kingdom and His righteousness in your life, for letting God's truth set you free personally, for gathering in group where you can share the strength in community and then welcoming the whole measure of all the fullness of God on yourself. But you are taking responsibility for doing that and it happening in your life. The New Testament tells us that you're not meant to be God, but you are meant in the image of God to belong to God and to become like God and then to be filled to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Ephesians 4.13, in all things grow up into him who is the head. Now part of that, this is really good news, part of that means that nobody can maximize all of their human potentials in this life alone. It takes eternity for that. But you know what? You can fulfill the will of God for your life. You can bring up there, down here, Every moment that God gives you, you can pray the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can bring heaven to earth every day in your personal life. That's what spiritual adults do. Now, I told you, fasten your seatbelt. I'm locked and loaded. There are five basic questions that I want to bring to your attention right now that spiritual adulting asks and answers. Number one. What does it look like? I mean, how can you know when you look in the mirror that you are spiritual adulting? Well, to me, it looks like this. You are gift active, you are spirit filled, you are fruit bearing, you are armor clad, and you are leading a life that engages and overcomes the enemy, the spiritual enemy. Let me unpack it. That means that you are using your lead gifts from the New Testament. Mine are leading and teaching Romans 12, 7, and 8. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Are you leaning into them? Are you showing them? That's part of adulting. Secondly, you are leading, you are yielding to God's Spirit within you and flowing through you. Jesus said in John 7, 38, that this river of living water would be flowing through you by faith. Are you doing that? Is that happening for you? 
Number three, you are showing the fruit of God's Spirit in your life, Galatians 5.22 and the following, so that other people can not only see it and feel it, but taste it. They can taste your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When a person is spiritual adulting, other people feel those things from them. Is that happening in your life? And then number four, you're suited out for battle. I mean, you're making the enemy nervous. Every morning you get up, he's aware of you because you're aware of his traps and his schemes, and you are armored on and ready to make the decisions that will make the difference. Um, doing the right thing. Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews 5.12, the mature, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. They're making good decisions, and that's a sign of maturity. Doing the right thing at the right time, in the right way, for the right reasons, is the way of life for spiritual adults. And then James chapter 3, verse 2 says, One clear indicator that you have become a fully mature and complete spiritual adult. Listen to this. This applies to our lives today, to the crisis at hand. Listen to this. You're never at fault in what you say. Oh, my goodness. Mouth control is a chief indicator of being mature. So once again, let's remember that you don't become a spiritual adult at a chronological age. It's not a matter of calendar years, and you don't just arrive and then lock it in once for all. It's a dynamic process. Even the Apostle Paul said this, Philippians 3.12, Not that I have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. He, he's saying, I haven't yet arrived, but, but I'm taking responsibility for my own life under God in Christ. You still with me? This is, this is heavy, isn't it? Okay, question number two. What is the central lesson of adulting? Taking responsibility. We've already said that. In adolescence, here's what you start learning. I could be my own worst enemy. Whoa. In spiritual adulting, taking responsibility shows you that you, it's a step toward becoming your own best friend. Growing up, take the step. It's what Paul says in verse 13. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So you know you're a spiritual adult when you take full responsibility for your own spiritual life. You don't blame somebody else for what's not happening in you. You don't scapegoat somebody else for how far you've not yet come. But you keep on keeping on and you build on where you've been. Which is why verse 15, Paul says this, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now what's that? That's taking responsibility. Now there are many tasks of adulthood, but the main, the main lesson is responsibility. Responsibility for yourself, for your life, for your choices, 
for your consequences. Now, speaking of choices and consequences, who of us has not been troubled by the choices and the consequences that we have seen unleashed in our current culture because of racial injustice and the horrors of inhumanity. Um, one of the things that I'm learning, and I'm definitely a student in this, was that I will come to greater understanding when I listen. So as a step in that direction today, I have invited some of our Christ Journey family that I've been speaking with for um, days now, weeks actually, about what's been going on. And I asked them if they would mind just letting us see into their hearts for a moment and give voice to two questions. There's much more to be, to be mined out from here. But today, let's just listen for two questions. What are you feeling? And what would you like your brothers and sisters in Christ to know? We're not trying to address the issues of the world, but we're trying to say, what's going on with you? And then what can we as a family learn as we listen together? So may I invite you to listen with me as they give voice and we learn compassion and understanding. Well, I have to say that the, the feelings are a multitude of emotions from very different perspectives. Key emotions that I'm going through right now is sadness, a measure of hurt, um, and uh, here we go again. I am amazed. I'm amazed that we are surprised by the reaction that we had to the murder of George Floyd. These are feelings that have been pent up for years that have gone unaddressed. I worry about my own life you know, being taken for granted just based on the fact that I'm black. But I'm also proud of our supporters, both black and non-black alike, choosing to take to peaceful protest to show America how we really feel. As the mother-in-law of an African-American law enforcement officer, my heart is broken on a variety of levels. It's broken for the fact that um, as part of the, of the African-American community, he has experienced racial discrimination and hatred, and it breaks my heart that anyone would judge him based solely on the color of his skin. And I say that because if they knew him, they would know what a God-fearing, loving man he is. To be honest, I am tired. I'm frustrated. I'm exhausted. Um, my heart hurts and is broken. Um, because of the way we're treating each other, um, of the way uh, brown-skinned people like myself get treated. I am enraged about the senseless death of George Floyd and the subsequent violence that has taken place across our country. I am bewildered that a police officer who has sworn to protect and serve could instead do the exact opposite. I'm gonna put it in two simple words. I feel angry and I feel hurt. I'm angry because of the injustice that our world is facing. 
I'm hurt because a life was lost. I'm hurt because another one of our brothers has gone down. You see, but what this does for me is just reminds me about what people were going through back in the days, right? From the bottom of my heart, um, I want to express that I am saddened, I am brokenhearted, I am frustrated, but I know that the enemy will attack through fear, pain, and shame. But I'm conflicted because I'm worried that the voice, the peaceful voice, is going to be overrun and overlooked because of the violence that is taking place. Well, what's becoming clear to me is that I don't know what I don't know. And the only way that I'm going to learn is if I take time to listen. And to listen not just for words, but for heart. And I want to thank each of our sisters and brothers who were so courageous and transparent to let us into some of their heart today as we listen with our hearts and then try not just to, to feel with compassion, but to learn with greater understanding and then take the steps of action to make choices that will bring better consequences in the future that we share. I want to talk about these things. But what I realize is that I want to do my homework. I need to do my homework and listen and learn. And so once again, may I just thank those who have shared for taking us to such a tender, raw, real, and deep place and, um, and invite your prayers now as we anticipate that opportunity of giving greater voice to the Christ journey together in the future. But thank you for sharing what you have experienced as some of the consequences of choices that have been made. God gives us the power of choice as human beings made in his image. But as Christ followers, here's what we know. God also gives us the power of his blood. That's for forgiveness and healing. He gives us the power of his spirit. That's for empowering in living. And then he gives us the power of his word so that you can align your life to the truth of his word and find greater freedom. And all of those things together, he gives us so that as spiritual adults, we might be built up to become overcomers in the battles of life. And that's what we're facing, the battles of life, so that you can be blessed in the battlefield and then say with warrior David, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil till my cup overflows. Speaking of battle, by the way, are you still with us? You still with me? Question number three, what will you encounter as you engage the battle? Because Jesus, as he entered his adult ministry, he did it on the battlefield, um, facing the tempter and temptation, he was the tempted. And I'm saying, you will too. Those three will be common in your battlefields as well. The tempter, the evil one, the liar, the deceiver, the master of misdirection and of distraction and destruction. <laughs> Our spiritual enemy, we do not fight against flesh and blood, 
But our spiritual enemy will make himself known and offer diversions to take us away from God's way and God's will in life. Did you know that 72 of the Psalms in the book of Psalms, almost one half of the entire book, mention enemies, dealing with enemies. Enemies are not only those who oppose you, but they are those who oppose God's way of life. And uh, the tempter, here's what he does. He wraps the good gifts of God in lies, and then he twists them toward self-interest, self-indulgence, self-determined, selfish living, and uh, making self, not God, the center of our lives of all things. And you know what? You and I are vulnerable to that because our fallen sinful nature already believes that and wants it to be true. You know, I'm the measure of all things. I'm the boss of my life. So I should have what I want when I want because I want it. Why? Because I got to watch out for number one. Oh, wait. God's not number one? No, I am. So see, already I've been invited into a lie. God isn't watching out for you. God isn't watching out for me. God doesn't love you. That's a lie. If anybody's going to love me, I got to love me. No, that's a lie. And then once I mess up or I get distracted or deceived into one of the evil one's traps, then you know what he does? He heaps on the guilt. He heaps on the shame. He heaps on the blame, the fear, the doubt. And then he tempts me even more to bury that. With drugs, with alcohol, with sex, money, success, lust, power, greed, anger. And so all of those rise up. And that's why the armor of God matters so much. The belt of truth holds everything else in place. Christ's righteousness is like body armor protecting you from guilt and shame. The gospel shoes of peace help you Find your place in, the, in a world of moral confusion and the slippery slopes of temptation. The shield of faith defends you against the fire and the, uh, the fear that the evil one would put on you. The helmet of salvation protects your mind and helps you keep your head in times of discouragement and despair. And then your spirit sword, God's word, helps you slice through the temporal and the sensual and land on the eternal. But as I tell you what, uh, we learned how to put on all the armor of God in our adolescence. That's what happens when you're a spiritual adolescent. But now when, a, when you're a spiritual adult, you've got full responsibility to fight the battle. When you're mugged by temptation, nobody else can do that for you. That's how you know you're adulting. Question number four, how can I grow to be a spiritual overcomer? Three words, believe, receive, achieve. And you know what? You learned all three of those in your spiritual childhood. Believing God's word in Christ's death, his resurrection, and then showing trust that obeys. Galatians 2.20 is the adult summary of that Truth now being applied in the battlefield. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. By faith, I am now living in Christ's atonement. Believe the way of the cross in death. 
I am crucified with Christ. That's what Paul says. He didn't just die for me. I died with him. And I am now dead to sin in his death and burial. Second, receive the way of the resurrection in life. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. My sinful nature died in Christ, but my personality, my individuality, my autonomy is still very present and very real in Christ who lives in me. I'm the glove and he's the fist. I'm the wire and he's the power that flows through me into my world. So believe my freedom from sin in Christ's death, receive my fullness of life in Christ's life, and now achieve the will of God for me. Paul says, the life I now live in the body every day, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. That's the overcomer. I now achieve the will of God in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my vocation, in my career, in my ministry, by Christ's faith and love being expressed in me. Now that's a lot, isn't it? But I got one final question. What if I fail? What then? Or should we say, not what if, but when I fail, what then? John chapter 21. Jesus Christ, risen but not yet ascended, is with Simon Peter. And he's by the Sea of Galilee. And he's asking him, do you love me, Simon? And uh, he asks him three times. Why? Because three times Peter had denied him. And what's happening? Well, Jesus is now gently but firmly helping Simon take responsibility for his life. He's inviting him to step into his spiritual adult. And each time that Simon answers the question, he says, Lord, you know I love you. Then Jesus gives him something to do. Did you notice that? He asks him to do something. That's the focus of spiritual adulting taking responsibility and doing something. He says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, care for others. So how does Christ mentor us as spiritual adolescents into our adulthood? He calls us to take responsibility for our failures and for our future in doing the will of God because we love Him. And He shows Peter that He's not just a spiritual adult only for himself. But that him taking responsibility for his own growth is another step in being a responsible, reproducing leader in somebody else. Maybe that's where God has you today, not just connected in a group, but what if you were to start leading a group and taking responsibility not just for yourself, but helping others? But you know what? That sounds like spiritual parenting. And that's for the next message that's coming up. Maybe one final thought for today. If you've ever wondered how to make the most of the only life you have, why not consider this? Fulfilling the vision Almighty God has for your life with every breath you take, every move you make, every claim you stake, every single day, because he's not only watching you, he's loving you. He's imagining you full grown in blessing as an overcomer, overflowing with eternal life. Believe it, receive it, and then say this, Lord, here am I, send me.
and then go to do his will and achieve it to his glory. Pray with me. Gracious God, thank you for your kindness and your patience toward us. Thank you for your vision of unleashing us, empowering us, and equipping us to become overcomers in life, but not just for ourselves, but for others. Our world is in such desperate need of this. So we pray you would help us grow to be all you would have us be. We remember the crisis at hand and our own family members and those within our community, our county, our nation, our world that are in such desperate throes right now. We pray against the injustice and the sin of racism. And we pray that you would help us grow into the spiritual mature adults that can be vessels and instruments of healing and peace and fighting the right enemy that we might overcome and create a better world. And we're praying for somebody today who is at the beginning of their spiritual journey and would like to know you personally. Friend, if you're listening and that's you, then you can begin your relationship with God with a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your spirit. I turn from my way to learn to go your way and receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you've prayed that prayer with me, I hope that you'll let us know so that we can follow up with you and join you in the journey. May God bless you until we meet again.